0: Welcome to the Ritchie Flow Nutrition Podcast. My name is Cameron Borg. On this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Prue Hart. Prue Hart is currently the head of the Inflammation Research Group at Telethon Kids Institute in Western Australia. Her work has focused on the effects of UV light in modulating immune responses, particularly in diseases including type 1 diabetes and multiple sclerosis. Prue has been an advocate of sensible sun exposure for decades and has contributed greatly to the recognition of the host of beneficial effects that sunlight has that go beyond the synthesis of vitamin D. Prue has been president of a number of associations including the Australian Society of Medical Research. She has published over 180 papers and is a world-renowned scientist who continually strives to improve her group's scientific impact. This was certainly one of the best conversations I've had on the podcast. Prue's outlook and nuanced approach towards sunlight exposure is so refreshing and thought-provoking and it's genuinely a message that needs a broader audience at this point, particularly here in Australia where the public messages and campaigns surrounding sun exposure have been far too dogmatic and have completely failed public health at large. Prue's work is a shining light and a force towards a more balanced approach to getting outside and letting the sun shine in. There's probably not a topic that I'm more passionate about than sunlight. So this conversation was really exciting and energizing for me. I sincerely hope that you enjoy our discussion and reap all of the benefits that the sun has to offer. With all that being said, I hope you enjoy the episode.
1: And only in the last couple of days, there's been a press release released from MS Australia saying that the vitamin D trials for early MS have not given any benefit. Yeah. So therefore they've got to reevaluate why there are latitude gradients and think a bit more that if they're latitude gradients for MS but vitamin D is not the answer, it's other molecules that are being made in the skin when you go out in the sun. Mm -hmm. And that's really the whole hypothesis is rethinking that that you go out in the sun and you get a lot of molecules made in your skin as well as vitamin D. Mm -hmm. So you can't just take a pill from a bottle. You need more than that.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And uh, I think let's just get stuck right into it. So um, how did you end up, uh, looking into um, the effects of UV light or i guess sunlight on on health um, as your career progressed
1: i'm i'm a cellular immunologist i've um, been working on sort of autoimmune diseases i did a lot of work on rheumatoid arthritis now more uh, multiple sclerosis UV light i was working on that from the mid-1990s, principally in mice. But as we know, skin and mice uh, humans and mice have different skin. Uh, it seemed important to do a trial in humans. And because UV light can be used for treating skin inflammatory diseases, the ethics was quite easy to get. Right, and we're just astounded with the outcomes. And I've been involved with there's uh, with a company that's just done a trial of UV for for um, COVID with a right. successful outcome. Yep. So, I suppose it's knowing that UV was immunosuppressive. It therefore asked the question, how was it important for our day-to-day existence and why had we evolved to respond to UV with with a sort of, it it creates a homeostasis in our immune system. And therefore you've got to think uh, more about um, human disease. And I think the other big thing that helps us understand why we're doing what we're doing is that there's seasonal changes in both our physiology and human diseases. So if there's seasonal changes, that suggests that UV or UV exposure uh, has quite a modulating effect on our human physiology and disease. Processes, and and it just makes sense that we've evolved that way. We've got light skin for that very purpose.
0: Yeah, I've often thought, you know, uh, our our earliest ancestors um, most likely had a lot of melanin in their skin um, as a result of their um, starting out in in Africa, and the depigmentation as we moved further north into Europe was a necessary. Um, a necessary trait to develop so that we could absorb more UV as it, as it diminished the further north we get. So our light skin is actually evolved because we need more UV light, not, not, not so much the other way around that we evolved um, melanin to protect us, although we did, but it works both ways.
1: The, the other important issue with that evolution of the light skin is that there are two genes involved, the right. Asians have evolved a, a gene mutation for their lighter skin mm-hmm. and the North Europeans have evolved a different skin mutation. Right. But both of them benefit the obtainment of a, of a lighter skin and that's called convergent evolution. So different populations evolved in different ways, both surviving but with with different evolutionary traits with lighter skin.
0: Yeah, well, I've, I've heard Michael Hollick talk about how the birthing process would have been impossible without enough vitamin D because the bones would have not been able to support, um, you know, the, the hip bones particularly wouldn't have been able to support giving birth. Uh, so this, this depigmentation event was uh, absolutely critical in our evolution.
1: That's that's an
0: interesting statement. Yes, yes. Mm. Um, I wanted to get in. You mentioned before that there are many molecules that we synthesize uh, in our skin as a result of being exposed to sunlight, in particular the UV portion of sunlight. Uh, most people are familiar with vitamin D and think that the buck stops there. Um, I wanted to get into, you know, what other things are being made in the skin that would that we're aware of. Um, from sunlight that we that we might be missing just by taking a, a vitamin D pill?
1: One of them is a, a histidine molecule called uricanic acid that's mm. in the skin and it isomerizes to a more soluble molecule that then drains out of the skin into our body. There are other membrane molecules that can respond to UV chromophores. So UV comes onto our skin as energy and it gets absorbed into molecules in our skin cells and they change and then submit uh, signals into pathways. So you really, then you get a cellular response and skin cells can, like dendritic cells, can migrate down to your lymph nodes that drain the skin and from there it will get, through our lymph and through our blood to the rest of our body and cause the benefits that it can in, in modulating um, and causing, causing homeostasis. And it's not only vitamin D. Um,
0: what about uh, nitric oxide? I know there's there's been um, some talk about the action spectrum of nitric oxide uh, being UVA and that we can get um, quite beneficial effects from the release of nitric oxide in the skin upon exposure to UV light. Um, However, it does also seem that uh, nitric oxide is a double-edged sword in that it can be dangerous as well. Um, Can you sort of help me figure out, so like what is the role of nitric oxide um, as it is released by UV light?
1: Nitric oxide, Is released from stores in the skin. And it actually has been shown to affect immune cells directly uh, and make more regulatory cells. But it also um, helps with your blood pressure, it relaxes your your, um, vessel cells, blood vessel cells and you get a lowering of blood pressure. And that's really important in conditions where you've got high blood pressure. Also, I think diets very high in nitrates, uh, you you get benefits then indirectly through conversion of the nitrates down into nitric oxide. And I think All all our physiology is is a balance of risk and benefits, and I think that nitric oxide formed in the skin has more benefits, particularly for blood pressure, lowering cardiovascular, improving immunological and uh, metabolically as well, because we know that uh, metabolic disease can be, uh, there are benefits by going out in the sun through that nitric oxide.
0: And am I right in thinking that the action, the the spectrum that um, induces this release of nitric oxide is the UVA range?
1: Now this is important. Um, some of the studies were done with UVA mm-hmm. because then you could because you need UVB to make vitamin D and they used UVA to show it was a vitamin D independent effect. But subsequent studies have shown that UVB is actually even more effective than UVA. And that came out of Richard Weller's studies of cardiovascular disease and he has shown that the the of benefit from uv on cardiovascular is steeper is better with uvb
0: than uva right and speaking of vitamin d um this this molecule also has a lot of cousins as far as i can tell um i've spoken to rebecca mason um here in sydney She's done quite a bit of work looking at these other hydroxy derivatives um, that are produced by other enzymes in the liver and kidneys, things like um 20 hydroxy uh, vitamin D or 2023, 20, 21, 21, 23 dihydroxy vitamin D. And all of these, all of these other hydroxy derivatives, these cousins of the vitamin D molecule, seem to have um, similar effects um in. Uh, arresting cell cycle development in damaged cells and um, promoting apoptosis in damaged cells. So, have, is vitamin D the whole? Is vitamin D more important than those, or do you think we'll see later on down the track that instead of vitamin D supplements, there'll be these vitamin D compounds, a mixture of all of these different um, hydroxylated forms of the precursor?
1: I can't answer that. Oh. Uh. I think you'll find the question around vitamin D is really where the supplements work at, at all. I mean, a lot of the studies are mouse, you move to humans, there's a lot of associations of higher disease risk with lower vitamin D, but supplementation studies have given very little benefit. We know there was the biggest study in the US, even looking at bone fractures, vitamin D supplementation. It was in the New England Journal of Medicine in August. It gave no benefit at all for bone fractures. Yeah. Now it's just come out. It's had nothing to do with a big study here in Australia with development of multiple sclerosis. Mm-hmm. I can not talk really about all these other vitamin D molecules. I think what these trials are saying to us is that we don't need a lot of vitamin d the levels we've all got is sufficient for is sufficient for development mm-hmm. supplementation adults has no benefits at all the only thing like you say for birth that might be in development and i don't think we really know about that Mm-hmm. But I think if you look at the editorials for this big bone study, will say supplementation gives no benefit because we've all got sufficient for our day-to-day life. So what these little vitamin D subproducts or cousins, as you call them, mm-hmm. uh, will do, I, I can't predict. Okay. perhaps in very large amounts such that they become almost a, a pharmaceutical drug. Right, right. They may do something, but I think the world is moving to say let's, let's reset our thoughts. If it's not vitamin D, let's concentrate more on the other things that happen in the skin when you're exposed to sunlight. I don't want to decry one or the other. Yep. I think it's just putting it more in proportion, making us think um, more strategically. Uh, we know going in the sun helps our mental well-being.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh All, all the um, neurohormones that are formed, they make us feel better. Yeah. Uh, I mean there that's definitely not vitamin D. We know all the cardiovascular metabolic, we know that's definitely not vitamin D.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, immunologically, um, the trials have not done anything. Um I I think it's just resetting. Um that there was a study, for example, on cis acid on brain development. Mm-hmm. Um it, it's really just thinking that there are probably multiple pathways. We can't be naive enough to think that vitamin D is the only molecule made in your skin. Yeah, I think we've got to think that we've evolved with multiple pathways, multiple benefits from sun, and it's really just putting one in proportion with the other.
0: So you mentioned before that um, you think that vitamin D levels are generally sufficient in the population. Uh, what what do you see is a I guess an optimal level uh, for people yeah. to be to be looking at? Is that a, is that a difficult question?
1: Uh, I'm not a vitamin D expert. I think the way of thinking after this big uh, trial in the United States, looking at bone fractures and bone developments. I think they're thinking that 50 nanomoles per liter is is sufficient. Right. A lot of people uh, go out in the sun and they don't. They can't get much higher levels. I mean, it's all buffered well in the skin. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the um, levels of of vitamin D. There there was a very good editorial just saying we've probably all got sufficient and this um in the last decade everyone's saying you must test your vitamin d and if you're not up at 80 you should be taking supplements i mean i think all that's debunked now that really we've probably all got sufficient at 50 and if you're very very low at 20 well i mean take vitamin d it's not going to hurt you yeah right it, it's not going to hurt you. It's just the question of what are the benefits.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's dig into this um, other molecule that um, you wrote a great paper about. This uh, urocanic acid. Um, oh yes, I've been quite interested in that because I've I've been I've heard about it about two years ago, uh, and I was unsure about what what sort of role it played in in regulating the skin and um, regulating the. Uh, Immune response following exposure to UV light. So, can you give like a, a background on what is this molecule and and essentially what does it do?
1: It's a histidine molecule, so that's from one of our amino acids, mm-hmm. and it's made into trans acid in the skin. And when it absorbs UV photons, it isomerizes to a cis configuration and it becomes a lot more soluble. So it will get then down into draining lymph nodes and systemically. Now, what is its role? It's still very much being investigated. Uh, We've found effects on immune cells. Uh, It's a very small molecule One of its problems is that there are not a lot of tools to play with. You know, there was an antibody to cysturocanic acid that we used in the 1990s, but the clone has been lost and people have not um, been able to make another one. It does get measured in your urine, so we know it goes through your body. We know that... um, it, it in very small amounts. The receptor is unknown. Uh, we've written papers that in mouse it's thought to be one type receptor. In a, in humans that doesn't seem to be true.
2: Right.
1: Um, again, we really don't know. All we know is that it's part of the arsenal that we've evolved with to help in immunosuppressive effects. Um, it's been uh, there's been a study in, in MS, for example, that serum levels of, of cysts uh, can associate with the disease. But again, a lot of the human studies are all association. Mechanism is another question altogether. So again, another question we need to be working on.
0: Right, and um, because it's a histidine molecule, is there any relationship with um, local histamine reactions, uh, things like eczema that involve uh, this degranulation of mast cells with histamine? Is there any relationship between the two
1: molecules? A good question, a good question. I mean, we had hypotheses that cis could act directly on mast cells. One mm-hmm. lab in the America f- did find that. We did not find that, right. which would suggest then it was indirect. The one area that it's really important when you talk about histidine and cis acid is that it is then can be broken down to glutamine
2: mm-hmm.
1: or glutamate. And glutamate is a very important neurotransmitter. So there was a study in mice where they exposed mice to UV and then they measured the appearance of uricanic acid in the brain, in Mm -hmm. most areas of the brain. And they then looked at its involvement by use of radioactive uricanic acid. And it made the neurotransmitter glutamate and therefore it helped learning and development. And they could look at mice that had been bred from irradiated mice and they were smarter. The learning and development, they were smarter. And it's actually in humans you can only do association studies, but they have looked at um, women in Scotland with um, exposed to different levels of UV and, and looked at, learning disabilities in the children um, so that that's it may be very important in metabolic pathways as well as well as just affecting immune cells it may be the products of uric acid that are important right.
0: so it just seems like this is just another molecule that is a part of this uh response to to sunlight essentially uh it's another piece to the puzzle that uh, probably needs a lot more attention than it's being given at the moment
1: um and it's been i couldn't agree with you more it's been overrun by this vitamin d paranoia right uh, which is fueled by the pharma companies mm-hmm. that vitamin d is the panacea but it's not it's the, the supplementation trials have shown quite clearly it is not the panacea.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's, that's something that's very um, interesting to note. Um, when you look at uh, populations, those with the highest vitamin D levels seem to do much better. But then when you supplement them and get their levels up through supplements, they don't do any better. So it has to be something else about sunlight that is, that is doing the job. And you're right. I think we've been far too, um, far too tunnel visioned into looking into just this one molecule. Um, but it also makes me think about um, how accurate um, murine mice models are at looking uh, at these issues. It seems to me that mice, I mean, I, I might be um, asking a silly question here, but um, mice are nocturnal um, and usually have hair. So I imagine that their um, evolutionary exposure to UV light is minimal to none if they sleep during the day and um, have hair covering most of their body. So how accurate are, are mice uh, models of, of UV and, and skin disease?
1: A very good question. Many granting bodies ask that same question. Right. Right. If you're doing research, you've got to use what you can. And we could shave the skin of mice so we can get rid of the hair. Mm -hmm. But it is a true fact, as you you said, that mice are, are nocturnal. They're not used. They haven't evolved systems to respond to UV. The other difference is the skin of a mouse is very thin. Human skin has a lot more um, cells in their epidermis, which is the outermost layer of the skin. Look, all scientists must work with what they've got. But I think you've made a very important point, and that is probably why in my research in the last dozen years has moved to humans. I mean, we can UV humans with narrowband because that's what is ethically possible because it's used for treatment of skin diseases. But because of the paranoia of skin cancers, I mean, you can't do a lot of of human studies. You can, I mean, there was a Sydney group that, did skin, um, they made little pieces of skin, you know, they'd put down layers of different levels of cells and, and try to make a an imitation skin. Um, you can get skin from um, surgeries and some work can be done with that with human skin. Uh, again, it's you work with what you can. And is ethically right and possible. So it, it's also then the question what wavelengths do you use? Yeah. Because,
0: yeah.
1: I mean, the, the ethically, you can use things like narrowband as long as you do research away from that skin burning carcinogenic wavelengths, about 300 nanometers. Yeah. And you can you do a lot of research with the other wavelengths. But we do know. Um, your body copes. I mean, your body, your your skin has developed a number of mechanisms to respond to to a sunburn. We know our skin is continually sloughing off as it grows. Now, if you get sunburned, those cells will die. Mm-hmm. They they became apoptotic cells, and maybe that's where vitamin D works this this skin has evolved a lot of mechanism to destroy any sunburnt cell yeah so and and again, the other big thing that's starting to come out around the world is the healthy economics. i mean the, we know skin cancers unless it's a melanoma will not kill you. but the internal benefits, yeah. From the sun, far outweigh, and and health economics is starting to show that in numbers. You you need to, it needs to be the big picture of risk versus benefit.
2: Yeah,
1: and yeah. I mean I'm a Queenslander, so and I'm right. at my age, we're all getting our BCCs and SCCs burnt off. Yeah, but listen. We've we've lived to our age because of the other benefits of exactly. sun, exactly. And that's what people have to realise. And uh, I mean, they don't. The health department, the health uh, people, don't even record SCCs and BCCs. They know you. You, they're not going to kill you. They're just a byproduct mm-hmm. of, of some sun exposure. And and there's a a dermatologist in in Edinburgh, Richard Weller, and he says to his patients, he, he's a dermatologist himself, they yeah. come for their SCCs and BCCs and he just says to them, you're going to live longer than a lot of my other patients because you've yeah. got these skin cancers. You've been out in the sun. So,
0: yeah." and I, I think mean, a lot
1: of dermatologists are really realising that now.
0: Well, I, I certainly hope so. Um I wanted to read a short passage from the abstract of um, this paper that you were involved in Um, studies in the past decade indicate that insufficient sun exposure may be responsible for 340,000 deaths in the U S and 480,000 deaths in Europe each year and an increased incidence of breast cancer, colorectal cancer, hypertension, cardiovascular disease, metabolic syndrome, multiple sclerosis, Alzheimer's disease, autism, asthma, and type one diabetes and myopia. So, You know, are we, it seems like we're cutting off our nose to spite our face by staying out of the sun. But at the same time, when you, when you go outside with your shirt off, people say, you know, aren't you worried about skin cancer? Um, so I guess the big elephant in the room is how much are we increasing our risk of melanoma, the skin cancer that can actually, um, metastasize quickly and take lives how much are we putting ourselves at risk of developing melanoma by being out in the sun not by burning by just being out in the sun
1: well you you need the epidemiology of melanoma is that you need to get sunburned Mm -hmm. the studies all show that it's your those in your childhood in childhood yeah. but the other thing is I think sun only causes 60 or 70 percent of melanoma so I think that's the percentage at the moment uh, I know that it's again risk versus benefit and so really people have to be vigilant about melanoma or the sun cause melanoma I know it's still the major cause but it's about 30 or 40 percent now are for other reasons, and they often appear appear on non-sun-exposed skin. Yeah. They also relate to the number of sunburns you have as a child. Yep. I know if you're, you're type 1 skin and redhead and yeah. you've got that genetic mutation, you've got to be particularly even more careful. But yep. um, I I think vigilance, I think not getting that sunburn as such. I mean, I just keep saying to people, wear a hat, head and neck, because that's where you get most of your skin cancers, head and neck. Yeah. But expose your arms and your legs and your trunk, but just never get sunburned. Yeah.
0: One thing thing you wrote in one of your papers that I read a couple of days ago was it's much better to expose as much of your body as, as possible for a shorter amount of time to get, all the benefits without having to expose yourself for a really long time um so um i don't need i don't need more of an excuse to take my clothes off so um
1: so (laughs) no i I mean i I think i think people well i hope they're realizing there is i mean the pendulum swung very much to staying out of the sun now the pendulum's going to swing back because they're realizing we have to get some sun exposure. It's even for our mental health, for our immune yeah. health, our metabolic health. Our it, it it really is swinging back, and it's 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 grandparents that are saying, well, they're the ones that have lived longer. Mm-hmm. They they are horrified to see children being told by these strong lobby groups like the Cancer Councils. Now, Cancer Councils do a really good job. They are there to prevent cancer. They're not there to recognise the benefits on on cardiovascular. They're they're not there to recognise all the other benefits. They're there just to to stop cancers. And, And so they've got to evolve. They have evolved now to think about vitamin D. Before that, they had a lot of trouble coping even with vitamin D because... Yeah the human, the world was waking up thinking it was vitamin D. Mm. Um, So it's, and it's the supplementation trials, and it's uh, like the Australian had it on page three. Vitamin D has no benefits for for bone fractures. It's not... That it's not important. It's just that we've all got an inbuilt level of sufficiency. Mm-hmm. That that supplementation won't do any better.
0: I wanted to ask you, um, up in Nordic countries, um, do you think it, it's beneficial to use things like tanning beds or, or UV lights uh, throughout the year where there is no UV light? Um, Is is that a safe way to implement UV into your life?
1: I know a lot of the tanning beds had a lot of UVA in it. Right. If it was just the UVB about 311, I know there are companies in the States that are trying to get the correct lamps in use for just immune and metabolic health. Yeah. I think, again, it was the extremes that... uh, But but I think tanning beds will probably come back if they're better regulated. Right. They've got to be better regulated because people were using them and they were using wavelengths that were causing some skin cancers, some melanoma. But, again, they'll always, I mean, we're a large cross-section of people and, you know, you you hear of the few that get the the skin cancers, the deadly skin cancers, but you've really got to balance it on the population. Yeah. And I know they do it in Sweden because they also get the mental benefits of it too. Yeah, yeah. You've probably heard of the study from Sweden. It's called the melanoma in southern Sweden study. Uh, and it
0: was about men.
1: You're a few yes. 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 Peli Lingquist.
0: He's he's and, my favorite. That's how I found this paper with you in it.
1: Yes. Well, he that that tells us a lot, doesn't yep. it? Yeah. Um and they live longer. Uh They may get cancers at the end because they've lived longer, so that all the other things that might get catch them down. Yeah, Um, but it's that was really very telling. And and
0: now I um, I interacted with a uh, a PhD uh, who's a a longevity expert, and um, these longevity experts, guys like um, David Sinclair. basically tell you never to go out in the sun the uv is going to kill you it's going to make you age prematurely never go out in the sun if you do go out in the sun lather yourself in sunscreen and i mentioned um this miss cohort the sweden cohort um to this uh, longevity expert and she just said well it's never been replicated so we can't use it as uh, as evidence and i thought that was not the best answer but what what do you think about um, the fact that the, a lot of these longevity experts who want to live past 100 are staying out of the sun do you think that do you think that's the best way to go about things
1: no I certainly don't uh, I I think if their quality of skin uh, went down I think that's the least of their worries of yeah. they're trying to live longer <laughs> that's what um, I've thought I think you—that's incorrect. Saying it's never been replicated, I know of other studies. I think I've heard of other studies that have also found similar effect, or, or, or it's been inferred. Right. Um, but again, I mean, it's it's risk versus benefit, isn't it? Yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, they're certainly not getting the benefits of, of day-to-day sun exposure if they are staying out of the sun. I, th- I think time will prove that uh, yes. you do need some sun. Yeah, and of course, you know, you haven't touched yet on COVID. Yeah, is- well, I
0: mean, that's uh, that's a huge. It's a big topic because I think vitamin D got so much press during the last two years, um, and it it does seem like there were. Again, this was you know, you look at the people who survived were the ones with the highest vitamin D. but again, is vitamin D's probably just a proxy for sunlight exposure, not you know not the fact that you can just supplement it and, and make things all better. So I well think- I
1: think London Martineau in London led the way. right. with a vitamin D tr- supplementation trial for COVID, And it had no benefit at all. And he's published now. The vitamin D supplementation, no benefit.
0: Interesting.
1: For for COVID. Mm -hmm. And that's probably the study that's come out about giving narrowband UV in New Orleans to COVID patients where the death was, I think it was 33% in those got sham light and 8% Eight percent in those that got UV right. light. Yeah. Now I know that trial is funded to uh, increase uh, at least tenfold in the recruitment, mm-hmm. uh, and it will be very interesting to see the outcome there. Yeah, and again, I, that's I agree. Taking a step back. Mm, sorry.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think that route should be should be the one more explored. Um, I, I mean, I would love to see ones using sunlight instead of narrowband UV, but we may get, we'll have to get there slowly, I think.
1: Well, again, you you think, I mean, we do have that as a natural experiment in a way. Yeah. We we do know that, you know, the, the latitude and the seasonal, when you, th- I mean, the, the, and, and Richard Weller, for example, has also included temperature in his and shown that it's UV and not, not the temperature.
0: Right, right, right,
1: right. Um, I think there are a few natural experiments like in Iran where the women were yes. not covered up mm-hmm. when the Shah was in power, but then when the more extreme um, Muslim leaders got into power the women had to cover up and so they didn't get their sun exposure and they got higher incidences of some of the autoimmune diseases yeah or yeah. their children too so i think there are some natural experiments like that as well mm-hmm. um but i think as you say the evolution has of white skin or paler skin lighter skin
0: yeah
1: has told us a lot
0: Hmm. I, I, I'm not sure if you'll know much about this, but um, the majority of energy from the sun is in the infrared range, and there's quite a bit of um, research being done regarding photobiomodulation and the use of these red and infrared uh, wavelengths. I'm, I've am i got one on me right now. Um, have you looked into the beneficial effects? Perhaps there's a synergy between these these, uh, longer wavelengths and the UV on the, on the other, on the other side of the spectrum.
1: I have started to read a little bit about infrared and exciting prospects. I really can't say any more than that. I mean, my career has been more about the other end of visible light. Yeah. And I would not like to say positive or negative. I mean, I just, I, I have read some and it's exciting. I mean, I think there's some healing benefits there too.
0: Yeah, uh, I, um, I've been looking into this. Um, there are some people that suggest that preconditioning the skin with um, the infrared light, much as you would get from waking up first thing in the morning before the UV is out, the sun is rich in these uh, red and the preconditioning of the skin is quite beneficial um to make sure the skin is capable of taking on the uv but i've i've also read um, some people suggesting that the preconditioning of the skin actually promotes survival of damaged cells which is not good so i think that's going to have to be passed out um, uh, in in future studies so i'm very interested to see about the relationship between um, both sides of the uh, spectrum beyond the visible portion
1: I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, the future will 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 tell us more. I mean, I think I, I think there is a move that for this sort of more traditional thoughts about evolution and sun exposure, and we've survived so long. Yeah, and it 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 is coming into it's not only natural medicine, but it is coming into more mainstream state medicine too. Thinking. You know, we we have we can't afford some of the medical advances now. So really, we yeah. have to think back to to more moderate things because phototherapy is so cheap. Yeah, there were there was an article written that UV lamps in is is really so cheap relative to to biologicals and. Yeah.
0: I mean, I've seen some doctors for, um, people who are in uh, more Northern latitudes who can't get enough UV. Uh, they recommend getting a a reptile lamp, uh, the same thing you'd use for an iguana. It's got UVA and UVB and, and use that on your skin for, you know, five, 10 minutes a day. Um, and because our physiology is not that much different when it comes down to the fact that we need UV light, much like our lizard friends, um, and you know, Michael Hollick points this out in some of his talks. You know, if you go by a reptile as a pet, you need to put a UV light in their in their um uh in their cage, otherwise they'll die. But right. in our nursing homes we don't put UV light. So it's just No,
1: very, very interesting observation. I mean it's yes, it's it's we we're reinventing things when yeah it wasn't broken and it was yes, I think that's a very interesting observation about the that the UV lights.
0: And I guess I wanted to ask you about um, some of the circadian effects. Um, certainly right next to UV uh, we have the, the blue spectrum. And it does appear that narrow, narrow spectrum uh, blue light, particularly around 420 to 450 nanometers, is absolutely um, you know, catastrophic to uh, mitochondria um, and it can cause quite a bit of damage on top of the circadian disruption that it causes through the interaction with the brain. Um, what impact do you think circadian disruption and exposure to narrow spectrum blue light is having on the health of our skin and, um, and skin cancers even?
1: Listen, this, this is another question like your infrared. I mean, I'm really interested, but I'm not an expert. Right. And I have read a little bit about blue light and how some of those signals can come actually through your eye yeah. um, as opposed to your skin. And um, I I hope there's going to be a lot more research in this.
0: Yeah, and yeah.
1: The, the whole um melatonin story as well yeah i think relates to as you say to blue light
0: mm. oh, well i hope all of these different aspects are going to be tied into certain um certain uh, research avenues later on because i think they're all uh, intimately connected um but i guess taking a step in a different direction um The impact of UV light on the gut microbiome. Um, I know you've published a couple of things with some other people looking, uh, I think, at uh, the changes in um, the microbiome of mice. But I know there was a small trial. uh, I think it was 21 women in Canada that that did the same thing in humans. And there does appear to be an effect of UV light on the gut microbiome. that seems highly implausible uh, on a, on a surface level, but can you can you talk a little bit about why that might
1: a- occur? I wish I had the answer. Uh, right. we, we were surprised in in our mouse studies. We started really with because it was a, a a gastroenterologist himself doing his PhD, Simon Garley and we started giving the mice different diets of vitamin d and we found that actually high vitamin d is very destructive
0: yes that's right to them.
1: but we needed to know whether the vitamin d was affecting the the wall of the gut was mm-hmm. the cells at the wall of the gut so we thought we'll give mice some uv such that the vitamin D is on the other side, they're getting their vitamin D from the other side of the gut wall. And we found very different responses, but we found that the UV still was changing the gut microbiota, but in different ways to vitamin D pills that were coming through the gut. Yeah. So that's where we start and we found that UV was still having an effect, uh, but it was different from vitamin D. So again we had to say, well it's probably other molecules being produced in in the mouse skin. Um, and then there was that human study as you said, that gave, I think it was just three exposures to narrowband.
0: Yeah, it wasn't much. And they
1: got they got the same changes in the gut bacteria. As we did in our mice, that right. we gave UV to the skin, in a in a general sense of the the the, the broad categories mm-hmm. of bacteria in our gut. So, how it happens, I I cannot predict. All I know is it's probably affecting immune cells because and also uh, we've done some work looking at short chain fatty acids, which mm-hmm. are the products of our gut bacteria. And we've found that they associate with different changes in the immune cells.
0: Right.
1: So uh, whether that's what's happening in mice, I I cannot predict. We looked at um, propionic acid, yeah. uh, butyric acid, and um, a third one. And we were looking at changes that affected in response to UV and re- also within disease states. So, what, look, it's, it's you, how does the bacteria signal? Yeah. It's through it's really their products, their soluble products that then get into our immune, uh, our blood, and the immune system.
0: Did you see an upregulation in production of short chain fatty acids? Uh
1: no. 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 Um, no we I believe that is. other people have
0: other people right right oh that's so interesting I I'm wondering because there's such there appears to be a very very tight connection between um thing well latitude and certain autoimmune diseases certainly multiple sclerosis which I know you're working on and type 1 diabetes uh, I guess I'm wondering, do you, do you think that this uh, alteration in the gut microbiota through UV light is one of the mechanisms that's working to alter the uh, changes in uh, autoimmune disease progression?
1: Big, big question. You're asking about the horse and the cart. Yeah. You know, which comes first? Yeah. Which Which, what is the pathway? I... Couldn't answer that. I think we've probably got multiple effects happening. Mm -hmm. And what's the again, what's the balance of what's important and what's not important is in in relative terms, I can't tell you. And and um the studies no, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you.
0: So as far as these autoimmune conditions um go. Uh, with their relationship to, um, I guess, exposure to sunlight. Um, what what is, what is sunlight doing to attenuate um, the progression or the development of these autoimmune diseases?
1: Again, if we knew, but that's what we're looking at. I mean, yeah. I believe that it's affecting metabolism of the right. cells. Right. We know... A, a cell's function, they need energy and they depend on um, glucose for glycolytic mm-hmm. and they depend on um, fats for fatty acid cycles. And I believe that we've got some sort of epigenetic change in the genes of our immune cells and we, I'd have to go back to our mouse studies though, to talk about how we could UV a mouse and it affected the bone marrow. So it's imprinted the bone marrow cells, and we know the bone marrow is um, the powerhouse of all our immune cells because our immune cells die after, you know, mm-hmm. six or seven days, mm-hmm. and they get replenished from the bone marrow. And we could take the bone marrow from a UV irradiated mouse and put it into a new mouse, let it seed all the tissues of the recipient mouse and then look at immune function and it carried over a lot of the effects from UV irradiation of the mouse from the bone marrow. So we believe that some sort of imprinting of, of our immune progenitor cells and we did gene arrays, and we found a glycolytic enzyme was important. Mm-hmm. Now, can you transfer that to humans? That's very difficult to show.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, all I can refer though is to some studies we've done in the participants of our trial. For example, we we've been biobanking the cells from. the the people in the PHOSIS trial, our study of UV on our early MS patients. Mm -hmm. So we could take out cells from before they started UV and after they've had their UV, take them out of the freezer at the same time and then do experiments with them in tissue culture. And we can challenge those cells with a polyclonal stimulus And we found the cells, particularly the B cells, the B lymphocytes, after UV, they responded less to the polyclonal stimulus to produce inflammatory molecules such as TNF, tumor necrosis factor. Mm -hmm. So we believe there's an imprinting by the UV of those patients on their Well, we we couldn't go to bone marrow, but we had the B cells. Yeah. Now, this is actually supported by some other studies. There's another one of babies of six months old where they did a vitamin D trial and they got no effect of vitamin D on the outcome of allergy, but they did measure UV exposure of the the babies Mm -hmm. and they found... That the there was there was less development analogy in the um, babies that had the got more UV, but importantly, they took cells. They'd frozen away the cells, right? And they too took cells out after this period of of um, well, it was vitamin D six first six months of life. And they found that in those cells from babies that had the highest UV, they had less responses in inflammatory cytokine production to just a, a, a general stimulus. Right. And, again, that was sort of like an imprinting. And the third study is this COVID study. Mm-hmm. And the results aren't in yet, but we believe that, again, it, it might be imprinting the cells such that they have less inflammatory cytokines, less of a cytokine storm, and therefore the, the participants who get the UV uh, don't die of of the cytokine storm and the mm-hmm. organ breakdown. Yeah. Again, that's how I th- I think UV is having an, enough effects immunologically on. A number of diseases, so it's not antigen specific. Right. So it has to be more general. Yeah. Like affecting the immune cells to be less responsive to damaging signals. Yeah. It calms it. Calms it. So they're yeah. they're programmed to be calmer. Um.
0: A more so that's my effect. hypothesis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A more foundational effect on on the homeostatic function. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and it—I've seen um, a few mentions in some of your paper papers about the development of um, conditions like asthma and eczema can be drawn back to the UV exposure of the mother in the first trimester. Um, now I'm I'm a pulmonary technician. Um, yes, so, I, I saw that. Yes. So I work I work with a lot of people who have respiratory conditions like asthma, and I often wonder. Um, a lot of them do have quite low vitamin D levels. Uh, I mean, like really low, like in the twenties. Um, but I wonder <laughs> if vitamin D would even help them, or they actually do just need to get out into the sun, um, and if they do go out in the sun, what, how is that going to be helping their, their respiratory system?
1: Good question. Good question. Um, again, it needs research. It right. really needs research. I mean, I haven't done any, um, human studies on, on asthma. Um, We were doing models, uh, experimental models, which were very immune cell driven. And there we were hypothesizing that the UV was inducing regulatory T cells, uh, also causing the production of these sort of homeostatic molecules that could dampen the inflammatory response, because a lot of these respiratory d- diseases are really inflammatory responses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be my hypothesis. But I mean, the epithelial change, cell changes with um, UV induced molecules. I can't predict. I right. Mean, uh, we don't know whether perhaps the microbiome of the lungs are infected. Mm-hmm. Affected, yes. Um, we we don't know.
2: Mm-hmm. I
1: mean, it's been shown quite clearly now that gut and lung microbiomes are different. Uh, good good research questions.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I I imagine uh, differences in nasal versus mouth breathing are going to change the lung microbiome as well. Um, All right.
1: The <laughs> the other thing you said in the uh, first trimester. But the studies we've done in type 1 diabetes suggest it's um, later than that. Right, right. Um, Kate Miller, a PhD student, uh, we've just published in the last year or two that um, type 1 diabetes in boys only is affected by the UV exposure of the mother Mm -hmm. in later trimesters and of the child during the first year. Again, it's not actually exposures we measured. We measured the NASA satellite UV. Right. So that was only an association. We didn't have personal exposures. We just had something like um, I think there was 2,000 boys with type 1 diabetes and we looked at the mother's the time of the mother was in third trimester, mm-hmm. and the, the children were in aged one to four, one to to in the first year, in the four four set four quartets, and found quite big relationship between the development of type one diabetes, and um, because again vitamin D trials of type one diabetes are are very um, mixed.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that, that seems mixed. to be the trend with these vitamin D trials. Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah. So um just the I mean that hasn't had a lot the the type 1 physician immunologists are, are really still hung up on vitamin D.
0: Yeah, right. Oh, that's so interesting. Um I I wanted to ask you about Immunosuppression as a result of UV light because I'm not I'm not convinced I understand it um, very well at all. I mean, it's it's noted as a, a negative effect um, of of exposure to sunlight, but I'm wondering if it's if it's got two sides t- um, to the coin where the immunosuppression um, obviously in things like psoriasis. Um, you know there's a reason they they use uv exposure in conditions like that but w- what is happening uh, as far as immune regulation uh, following exposure to uh, sunlight
1: what is happening well i, I, I you mean is, is it is it really a negative effect
0: well i i want to i want to know to what extent is it is it a negative effect and also you know what does it does it mean that I'm more likely to come down with a with a viral illness uh, after after going to the beach, um, but
1: but but that that's um, really benefit and risk again, right? And and I think the, the there are also effects on the innate immune system. I think we've got to say that uh, the innate immune system will will respond to an infection, for example. So that is enhanced through uh I think it was shown in T B studies, wasn't it? That's how yeah, UV yeah. benefited the the introduction and that was thought to be increasing cyp 27 B1 or two that enhanced therefore the vitamin D macrophage. Could kill the bugs. So the innate immune system is enhanced. And that will happen at the skin level. um, And whether it affects your skin cancers, because people hypothesize, oh, well, that will reduce your immunity, will reduce your fighting ability. Yeah. But I always respond that leave the skin cells alone because they have mechanisms. If they're destroyed, very few of them take mutations. They Most of them will die. Yeah. You know, if they're altered to the point they can't survive, they die. Otherwise, they're sloughed off because yep. our skin is continually um, shedding off the, the epidermis. I mean, we know that's our scales on our skin are dry, are dying cells, and they get sloughed off, and yep. all and that scales are then replaced by, by more. Um, I think the benefits outweigh those risks. I mean, yes, you 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 may get a, infections, but you've also enhanced your innate immune system. Yeah. So, it's more that adaptive system where our benefits are great.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um and as I said, I think it's then sending signals to the draining lymph nodes, which then get into our blood and our lymph and those internal benefits. You know, it's more than skin deep. The effects yes. are more than skin deep. Yeah. Absolutely. So the innate is handling it at the skin level and the benefits come uh, internally.
0: That's All right. the that,
1: way I look at it. And yeah. again, it's benefit and risk. Yeah.
0: yeah. So it seems pretty clear that you do need exposure to sunlight. Uh, it does also appear that chronic um, exposure, so exposure very regularly um, without burning also seems to have a beneficial effect, perhaps even a protective effect against uh, skin cancer, uh, rather than episodic um, large doses. Um, so
1: that's a sort of adaptive. Yes. Response. Yes. Yeah.
0: Uh, solar callus, as I've heard some people call it. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> so, bil- Yeah, being exposed on a regular basis to amounts not sufficient to burn, um, but to uh, keep your skin nice and healthy, and to keep you nice and healthy as well. Um, that seems to be the the best way to go about it. And like you said before, uh, you'd much rather have, you know, when you're 70, 80, 90 years old, a few SCCs and BCCs, um, to be frozen off than to have, um, cardiovascular disease or diabetes or cancer so i would much rather have these just to live longer yes. yeah exactly so I, I would i would take the whatever whatever sort of minor skin damage comes along with it i would i would much prefer that than you know a uh, 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 metastatic cancer of some sort all
1: right i couldn't agree with you more i right. think and we've just our job is to educate
0: yes Yeah.
1: Is to educate, make people think and just don't accept this. Stay out of the sun. Yes. But it's also take back control in your own thoughts of of whether you enjoy going out in a little bit of sun. Um, Because I think the the mental benefits are really important. I during COVID, I advocated that. Mm. Just go out in the sun in your backyard and you on your balcony and you because you'll feel better. Yeah, you know, particularly when you're in isolation.
0: Yeah, and I think there was a paper that was published maybe two or three years ago that laid out why people with uh, lower UV exposure were more predisposed to getting addicted to well um, becoming reliant on addictive substances. Um, Because of these endorphin pathways that are created uh, through UV exposure, uh, people, I think they used vitamin D levels as a surrogate for UV exposure, and they found that people who had lower UV exposure were more likely to get addicted to certain substances and and use them, uh, which may explain why some people get addicted to sunlight and why they want to tan so much. Because you yeah. do get you do get those um, mental benefits that uh, are so often uh, not talked about, uh, and certainly then benefits that you don't get from taking a vitamin D capsule. Um,
1: but also, this—if you think sideways about the the study, admittedly it was in mice, where the U, the UV induced cyrocanic acid it was found in the brain within about an hour. Right, and it was. Then mat- metabolized to glutamate, mm-hmm. which is a neurotransmitter. So you learning, development, um, sharpness of thought,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, mental capacity, um, and really, if you think sideways, it 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 helps in in all our mental um, calculations. Yes. In more mm. ways than just the endorphin, it's it's actually in this um, um, transmitter effects.
0: Yeah, even bright light itself uh, is is a treatment for seasonal affective disorder. Just having that intensity of light coming through the eyes is a very important thing. Um, yes. to Prevent uh, depression and anxiety and and rumination and things like that. Um, so I mean, that's the beautiful thing about sun it's, it's got everything it's got. It's the whole, it's the complete compounding pharmacy. Um, and if you don't see, it seems to me that if you don't misuse it and go out and burn yourself all the time, then the benefits are so, so great. You'd be uh, silly not to get out with your shirt off.
1: (laughs) There you go. (laughs) <laughs> and you're young, you can show off your body.
0: <laughs> oh, yes, I I think I'll have to go out for a bike ride after this. Um <laughs> but I guess what are you working on now that you're that you're um looking forward to to sharing with the world?
1: Well, I'm semi-retired. I'm um I am very excited about trying to get the message out about the benefits of sun exposure. Sort of like letting the sunshine in. uh, Don't be afraid of the sun. Mm -hmm. Funding-wise, though, I'm more into MS. Um, We've got a big review that came out only today about Epstein-Barr virus involvement in MS development because it's, there's been a lot of epidemiological studies this year, it really showing quite clearly that you've got to have infection with Epstein-BioVirus, and recently for the development of MS, but really how. So we've taken a deep dive into this and put up a hypothesis, and obviously UV is part of that story.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but not the major one. It's just more a comment. Um, Yeah. I'm involved with this company, Cytokine, which is a US company, and they've done the COVID trial and they've just got money and approval to do a much larger COVID trial. Now, for that trial, they made lamps over the hospital bed Right. So all patients were hospitalised. They had comorbidities. They had lamps, and so they only exposed 28% of the body to right. the UV. So patients were lying in the bed. Yeah. And they gave higher doses than we have given in our MS trial, and they had a sham group, so they had lights where the UV was covered up. Right. And they just looked at death and it's really going to be exciting. They've got serum and they've got cells and they're studying it at the moment. Um, They have a lot of serum from my study, from the FOSIS study, and they're looking at all the metabolomics there Um, and I'm looking forward to that data. And their aim is... I mean, they're a venture capitalist, I suppose, in the sense that they would like home system UV lights. Right. You know, if you could have a a, a rung of lights on the back of your bathroom door, with safety measures, mm-hmm. but you got a little bit of UV at home and it helped in your immune homeostasis and your mental and your yep. metabolic and um that's the way they're thinking i mean they're trying to we're trying to set up a much bigger uv uh, uvms trial um the imagination can run rife really but yeah you, you th- any autoimmune disease any um I know there, there's a lot of work going on thinking of lamps for people with high blood pressure. We know mm-hmm. high blood pressure is the top risk factor for world disease. We know that exposure to UV will lower blood pressure. Yeah. We know our blood pressure is lower in summer. It's yeah. by about four or five millimeters systolic
0: so is cholesterol Uh,
1: yeah yeah, so it it just is how you say you'd like a trial of sunlight yes which is a bit like beginning of summer and end of summer Mm
0: -hmm. or
1: something like that um i mean this is that sort of thinking about with the the home-based UV lamps or system or you know it's really up to the entrepreneurs to mm. to work this out, yeah, so I think I think more and more people will be uh, onto this mm-hmm. um, I know what I say in my talks is, Melanoma is a disease, melanoma is not a disease of sun exposure. It's a disease of sunburn. It's not a disease of sun sun exposure. Yep. So yep. Um, I think that's important for people to step back and think, well, yes, you know, they're frightened of melanoma, but it's, they won't get that with sun exposure they'll only get it with sun sunburn
0: yeah yeah so yeah a very difficult message to to get out and um hopefully like you said the the pendulum will swing back um i hope it doesn't swing back too hard because uh, we don't <laughs> want to we don't want to end up on the other side where no where you can just shine uv light at yourself all day that's certainly going to be in the wrong direction as well but yeah, I hope I hope the pendulum does swing back and and we can get to um similar to what they did um in in Switzerland in the early uh 20th century using um sanitariums and getting people out into the sun and um you know get getting high up, getting people to take their clothes off and and uh treating treating a lot of a host of diseases um with sun exposure as well as other modalities. So Hopefully, we can with with work like yours and and others who are um, really contributing to this field. Um, I really hope we can get back to uh, realizing the potential of of sun exposure for health.
1: I right, well, that's what I'd like to see. If all my work had come together to help to help build that me- message, um, yeah. I mean, the the hardest thing is. Is trials, as you say, you'd like to see one of, of sunlight, but but I mean, it's it'd have to be huge. It'd Have yeah. to be huge, and yeah. who's going to fund it? And 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 it's time of day, you have sun exposure. It's uh, season. It's there's just so much. Yeah. And and then all your genetics as well. Yeah. But I think the whole the whole message is coming clearer only because we're outbred. Humans are outbred. You know, we're all so different genetically. Yeah. Yeah. And yet yet similar messages are starting to come through. And that's reassuring because it's not just in a strain of mouse, or because that's a lot of what happens in in mouse studies, they're all yeah. genetically the same; and they're not different. But I think the message is coming out, and amongst such a diverse, genetically um, broad group of people. So,
0: mm-hmm. yeah, look, fingers crossed. This message um, slowly uh, gets gets out. And um, hopefully people listen. I mean, it's one thing for the message to get out, but hopefully we can um, get people to take it on board as well, because I, I think it's going to have uh, such a huge effect on on public health at large um, if we can get this part right. Yeah. Thank
1: you. yeah. Well, thank you for your efforts. You're the, you're the youth.
0: Uh, yeah. Look, I, I'm I'm trying. I'm trying my best. Um, but without, I'm um, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants, as they say. So. Um, yeah I, I can't thank you enough for, for the work that you that you've done um papers like uh like the ones that that you've you've done with these heavy hitters like um pele lingvist um you know these are these are reaching a wider audience now i believe so um yeah i can't thank you enough um, and hopefully hopefully this can at least reach a few people and and help them understand the benefits of sunlight as well
1: Oh, good 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 So I'm sorry if at the beginning I was all a bit uh, full on but hopefully um, you, you can you can work you can mold it.
0: No I think it was great I, I don't think there's any part of this that I'd want to cut out at all. Um, it, I, I learned I learned a lot and I, it's it's quite refreshing to hear um, such an honest uh, examination about you know where we're at with the risks and benefits. Um, you know, I, I've almost never heard anyone discuss the risks and benefits as, as well as you just have. So. Um,
1: well, you're very kind. I mean, isn't isn't that what life is? Risks and benefits. Exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah. There has to and, be some balance. Um, so, yes. Thank
1: you.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to keep up with Prue's work, I've put a few links in the episode notes to keep up to date. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can subscribe on Spotify and YouTube and leave up to a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This is a simple, no-cost way to support my work and help me reach more listeners. Please feel free to leave any comments on my YouTube channel as I do try and read through as many as I can. I've also put links to all of my social media platforms in the episode notes if you'd like to keep up to date with the podcast, get information about health, or if you'd just like to reach out to me in general. Thanks again, everyone. Take care.